The next reading is from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33, verses 14 to 16, and that's on page 563 of the Church Bibles. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Third, the third reading comes from Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 42, and can be found on page 701 of the Church Bibles. The context of this is Jesus talking about the end times and his second coming. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken away and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken away and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Well, I think you've probably all heard um, the little saying that there are only two things that are certainties in life, death and taxes. Uh, I hate to blow your categories, but Elijah managed to, to overcome death as God took him straight to heaven in a chariot, and it seems as if Donald Trump has been able to overcome taxes. <laughs> so what certainties are there in life? I want to say there is still one certainty, one thing that is certain. You can be 100% sure of this, and that is the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Over the next few Sundays, we're going to be um, looking at this uh, idea of the return of Jesus, the period of Advent, uh, as we've already heard, is, it focuses on not just the, the first coming of Jesus as, uh, as the baby in the manger, but the second coming of Jesus as the Lord and King of, of uh, the universe and establishing his kingdom. So that's what we're looking at for the next few weeks. And as we come to today, we're, we're considering this passage from Matthew where Jesus sat down with his closest friends in private, his, his inner circle, 
to speak to them about uh, these things. They'd just come up from Jerusalem. They were in the temple in Jerusalem and Jesus had spoken about uh, the prophecy of the destruction of the temple and the coming day of the Lord. And in Matthew 24 verse 5, if you've got your Bibles open there, they said to Jesus, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They believed that Jesus would bring in the end of the age, the establishment of God's kingdom, the Old Testament picture of, of, of the, the judgment where God would come and his kingdom would be established. But they asked Jesus, what sign can you give us? How will we know when this is going to happen? And that sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? Wouldn't you want to know that if Jesus had just been talking about it? But Jesus gives this answer in verse 36. He says, about that day, no one knows the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So... Have you got that? It is only God the Father who knows when this day will come. But it's been a temptation for Christians throughout the ages to become wrapped up in speculation about the signs of the times and about the second coming of Jesus. And the people that do this, they miss the message that Jesus was trying to get across here of the certainty of his return and how that should impact our lives. You see, if you're busy speculating about what it means for Israel to return to the land of Palestine and try and read other, other signs and say what the times are, what will you achieve? Jesus says no one knows except the Father in heaven. So it's a distraction to say all those things, and it's more than a distraction. It is actually something that can rob Christians of their faith when Christian leaders say that Jesus is going to return and he doesn't. I had a little look at Wikipedia for the mainstream predictions of the date of Jesus' return. The first one was 500 AD. Then 793. Then a very interesting date, the first of the first 1000. Then 1260. 1370. And then in the 16th century, when the Reformation happened, the good Bible-believing Christians, there was uh, 1504, 1524, 1525, 1533, <laughs> uh, and so on. And then when we get to the 19th century, there were nine predictions. In the 20th century, there were 13, one of which was about Jesus coming through the heads at, um, at Balmoral. And in the 21st century, to, to this day there have been nine predictions. Okay, nine predictions in the 21st century. The next one is June 19th, 2019. And then there are six more predictions after that, which take us through to 2057. And then, what, well, I'm sure someone will kind of fill in the space. We read that and it's incredible, isn't it? How, can, how could people when they know the history of others before them, still attempt to say that they can work out the signs of the times to say that Jesus is going to return. These people want God's kingdom to come. 
And so do we, don't we? We want God's kingdom to come. We ask that of God every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, O Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. So all through the ages, Christians have prayed for the coming of God's kingdom. Every Christian who's prayed that Lord's Prayer is praying for the coming of God's kingdom. But I want to say, when you pray that, do you actually believe that it's going to happen? Do you actually uh, just say, parrot that and say, well, yeah, we laugh a little bit about the crazies, you try and work out the dates, but we ourselves have no confidence or no kind of expectation that Jesus will return. If Jesus' return is so certain, as I propose, then why hasn't it happened yet? Peter writes to uh, believers at the end of the first century and he says that Jesus, that God, is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slowness, but he has not returned because he is giving everybody the chance to repent and to turn to Jesus and in God's eyes uh, a, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. So Jesus is not slow in returning. He is patient, wanting people to repent. And actually, if you follow the logic, we should be more concerned about the return of Jesus today than we were yesterday because we are actually getting closer and closer. But what... What does this actually mean for us? Why does Matthew record nearly two chapters on Jesus' teaching about his return and the day of the Lord? Why? Firstly, because it is great news. And secondly, because we need to hear the message and to be prepared. So why is the return of Jesus great news? The coming of the day of the Lord is, the folk, is our future focus. It is the only thing that makes our life meaningful for eternity. The coming of the day of the Lord means that my life is not meaningless. There is a certain future point when Jesus will return and that means we have hope. That means we have a future to look forward to. Now, it's just part of human nature, looking forward to the future. And we all have hopes. All people have hopes, different hopes. But what is the reality of those hopes? Maybe you hope that you'll get the perfect job. You've worked hard for it. It has to happen, I hope. Or maybe you hope that you'll find the right person to happily spend your time with. And you hope that they will be with you for the long time. Or maybe you hope that your children will leave home and finally show themselves to be adults. We hope. <laughs> maybe you hope that you have got enough money invested and in your superannuation that you'll be able to do everything that you hope you can do. 
in your retirement. Or maybe you hope that you'll be much more happier when your circumstances change. So you see, we all have hope. There's nothing wrong with these things, but you can live your life without them if these hopes are not realised. But there is one hope that is certain, that will be realised, that we cannot live without. And that is the sure and certain hope of the return of Jesus, to establish his kingdom, to call his people to himself. Jesus gives the illustration of the story of Noah. And he uses Noah and the flood as an illustration of someone with misplaced hope. What was Noah and his family doing? They were doing the normal things that people do. They were having their children married, they were celebrating, they were eating, they were drinking, they were working. And they had all the hopes that anybody else would have had for the, the future prosperity of their family and of themselves. But it was a misplaced hope because they didn't actually take into account the word of God that, that Noah spoke. We read in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You don't build uh, an ark the size of the ark <clears throat> that God told Noah to build in your shed out the back. Everybody saw him build the ark. Everybody heard his warning. But the people in Noah's day were swept away by the judgment of the flood because they had their hope in the wrong things. They had their hope set on their own future. They were not prepared. So we learn from this Jesus' teaching about his second coming. We learn that it is great news because we, we ha can live a life of, of meaningful endeavour knowing that history has a, an endpoint and a purpose. But more than that, we need to hear about this teaching so that we can be prepared and not to fall into the same trap as Noah. Sorry, as uh, the people of Noah's day. As I look forward in preparation for the day of Jesus Christ, there is one wonderful truth, and that is that I may have no idea as to when Jesus will actually return or even what might happen to me in the meantime. But I know this, and that is nothing can rob me of my hope. Nothing can rob me of my future with Jesus. And that is, that is something uh, really to cling on to, isn't it? The certainty that the day of the Lord will come means that no circumstance can ever rob me of my hope. So I can live with confidence, I can live with certainty about the future. And Jesus wants all of us to live like that so that we can be ready. He wants us to live with a purpose and not to be taken by surprise or left behind when, when Jesus returns. It's interesting, isn't it? Some people say, well, if Jesus has taken 2,000 years to return, why didn't he give us some idea at the start that it was going to be a long time? Well, you know what? The Bible says that Jesus did not know 
the time. So he was just as hopeful as any of us when it, when it comes to that in his human form. Peter wrote, in, the, in that day scoffers will come and say, where is this coming that you Christians base your life on? Scoffers will say that. Are you prepared to answer that? Do you have an answer for that? We have a sure and certain hope that is more certain today than it was yesterday. And because of, of uh, this certain return of Jesus, we need to live our lives in preparation. And Jesus says we need to be watchmen. Not people who wear watches, but people who watch. You see, if, if you uh, knew, knew what life was like in Jesus' day, and you know, we've, I'm sure you've all seen it in period movies, even in the Middle Ages, where cities had watchmen. The night, the dark hours were divided into different watches. The, the um, early watch, the midnight watch, the pre-dawn watch. And what happened? These watchmen walked around the city walls watching to see if there was any enemy or, or any activity that might threaten um, the city. God himself appointed Ezekiel as a watchman for the house of Israel. And uh, we, we read in Ezekiel 33, God says to Ezekiel, If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, even if that person's life will be taken because of their sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Son of man, that's God's uh, title for Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. You see what God is saying? God says, if the watchman sees danger coming and doesn't warn people and someone gets killed or injured, the person who is the watchman is going to bear the guilt of that death, even if the person is deserving of, of sin or deserving of punishment. That's, that is a big responsibility, isn't it? That is the responsibility that we have as we are watchmen. We need to meet together like this to warn each other to take watch. Because if you just live out in the world, you're not going to hear anyone encourage you to live by the Christian hope. But as we come together as God's people around his word, we, we encourage each other to remember that the day of the Lord is a certainty and to live our lives being prepared for that. Keep watch. Keep watch for yourself. Keep watch of your own life to be lived in the expectation of, uh, of serving Jesus and seeing his kingdom come. But then keep watch together. Come together and encourage each other so that we can remind each other of the certain hope of Jesus and his return. So as we go forward... Uh, in the next couple of weeks, Jesus will, sp will spill out, spell out more details and, of the stories and circumstances 
of what it means to live a watchful life. Um, but I want to end um, with this little, little story or little picture of how we should watch. And I hope this encourages you. Don't watch like an astronomer who watches through a telescope at things that are so far away that have little impact on our lives. Don't watch like a spectator sitting in the grandstand passively waiting for the seagulls to score. <laughs> Don't watch like a security guard watching a bunch of TV screens hoping that nothing will happen. But watch like a husband who goes to the airport to pick up his wife, who's been away for some time. Watch as, as uh, he embraces her. He's ready for her. The car is in the car park. The drive home. The home is ready and tidy. And there is a meal that is ready. Okay? This is the way, this is the way you watch for the one whom you love. This is the way we watch. And this is how we are prepared as we live a watchful life, waiting for Jesus to return. So let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that in your whole plan of salvation, the thing that is still to be done is for Jesus to return. And Lord, we pray that you'll give us the confidence of life that that brings. Life is not meaningless. We are moving forward into your future, to your kingdom. So Lord, help us to keep watch, to keep watch of our own lives, that we might live lives that have a purpose in your kingdom. And Lord, help us to encourage each other. And may we watch as one who is waiting and prepared for the one who loves them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.